And so taming the human mind is impossible. So you have to wrestle your mind. You have to physically take your mind from, I'm not going to make payroll and we're going to live under a bridge and go, I want to pay attention to building this part of my business. And then you do that. But it takes conscious effort because unconsciously it's going to go to the worry. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard And I cannot wait to share with you our guest today because he is so inspiring. His name is Mark J. Silverman, a man who has turned adversity into an inspiring success story. I'm skipping it now because he's going to tell it in a moment, but it's very powerful. His success has continued in his career in technology where he's generated over $90 million for fast-growing tech startups by bringing together executives, technical leaders, and stakeholders to close complex multi-billion dollar sales. He's also a best-selling author, coach, and speaker. And he also hosts a very well-known podcast called Mastering Overwhelm, How to Thrive in Business, Relationships, and Life. There's so much more about this man. I can't wait to introduce him to all of you. And here he is. Mark, welcome to the Daily Helping Podcast. It is awesome to have you with us today. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I couldn't wait to meet you because I did research on you to learn who I was going to be speaking to and, uh, you know, such a delightful human with a lot to offer. So I'm really happy to be here. Well, I appreciate that. Obviously, I didn't scare you away. So that's a very good thing. So, uh, you know, let's talk, though, about you because you, like me, have had some adversity, which you've overcome. We were talking a little bit before we hit the red button here, how adversity can really shape our lives based on the experiences we go through. So let's hop in the Mark Silverman time machine, take us back, and let's talk about what puts you on the path you're on today. Uh, I have to credit drugs and alcohol and sex. Drug, to for, drugs, alcohol, for, and sex. For, for, for making me the man today, I really must <laughs> give them their due. <laughs> because as they say in AA, if, if my counters all didn't go to zero, I'm not sure I would have started over and created, you know, a whole new human being. Uh, so, you know, the, the whole thing had to go to shit. Uh, so um, let's see, back in 1989, uh, and I know this because I just found the picture of when I landed in Washington, D.C. I landed, I, I came here to borrow some money from my brother, who was a big deal in the restaurant business here, uh, because I was homeless and living in my truck. And uh, I was 135 pounds. Uh, so, so really, uh, at 27 years old, I did, wasn't making it as a human being. And when I got here, my brother said, great, um, I'll lend you some money. You can live with me for a little while, uh, but you are going to go to AA and NA, and you are going to go to, uh, you're going to enroll in college and community college, and you're going to go to the gym with me. Uh, so I did those things. And what was really cool is, you know, when you take alcohol and drugs out of, out of the equation, 
you can accomplish a whole lot more. So I got a college degree, right? I got, I, I, I wound up uh, finding out that I'm really good at sales. So I was waiting, I waited tables well into my 30s, and then I got a sales job. And uh, uh, turns out introverts are really good at sales, which I only found in hindsight because we ask questions because we're interested in people. So I wound up uh, getting married, having two kids, uh, being a millionaire. And uh, the joke I always like to say is I'm a short Jewish Tony Robbins. And if <laughs> remember from the 90s, he always says, yeah, I was in a one room thing. I was overweight and all that. He doesn't tell that story anymore. But uh, basically, I had my own Tony Robbins story. So what happened was, you know, I found myself in status symbol land, driving a nice car in a million dollar house, you know, and uh, my kids in Little League and, you know, the community chair for the Boy Scouts and they're a great basketball coach and all those things. But my insides never caught up with the outside. There was still work to be done and still trauma to deal with. Uh, so, you know, several, you know, fast forward about a decade and a half into that success. And all of a sudden, I couldn't sell anymore. Something was, something was cracking and I couldn't sell anymore. And I started having panic attacks. And I started getting deathly ill. My marriage broke up. Uh, so my career was in the toilet. My health was in the toilet. Uh, my marriage was gone. And I found myself in a uh, uh, one-bedroom apartment around the corner from my ex-wife and kids uh, thinking I was going to die. I'm pretty sure I was going to die because I was getting all these weird diagnoses and stuff. So uh, I made this decision back in 2009, I think it was, uh, that uh, if I'm going to die, uh, I'm going to leave a legacy for my kids. And I'm going to, I, I decided I was going to run the Marine Corps Marathon because I heard a guy on the radio, Stu Middleman, who was this ultra marathoner, say, anybody can run. Everybody can run. If you're bipedal, you can run. So I'm like, all right, I can't run a mile, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him up and ask him to coach me because I want to run the Marine Corps Marathon so I, I can show my kids what you do when there's adversity. Uh, and I'm going to make a million dollars so I can leave the money for my, my ex-wife and my kids to, to thrive on. Uh, and I'm going to give $60,000 to charity because I hated myself so badly that I had to do something to make up for what a, what a crappy human being I was. Uh, and uh, Stu said it was going to take me about a year and a half, uh, to maybe two years to be able to run the marathon. I said, I'm going to be dead, so I have eight months. Uh, so that year, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon, an hour faster than my best time. Uh, I made the million dollars, took about a year and a half to do that, and I gave the $60,000 to charity. Uh, so what happened was my career was on fire. My health was better than ever. I was misdiagnosed, and my, uh, my family was doing better. While I was running, while I was training, while I was doing all those things, I was so depressed and suicidal. I hated myself. Uh, I started learning to meditate. I started journaling. I started reading every self-help, every spiritual book I could find. I would listen to this stuff while I was training and running all the time. I just steeped myself. When I wasn't working or I wasn't with my kids, I was doing everything I can to hold on to life. And I made the, I made the pact with God that uh, I'll, I'll live until Jake, my youngest son, graduated high school. You know, I, like, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll hold on until then. And what happened each year, I got a little lighter. A little, each year, I hated myself a little less to where I was okay. I was tolerant. I was okay with life. To I started to enjoy life. To that one day while reading a book by Alan Cohen called Relax Into Wealth, that uh, I realized that I was as much a precious child of God as my children, that I was worthy of love, that I was worthy of being on the list. Uh, and everything changed for me. 
Like that, like I, before that moment, I never had the thought that I was worthy of anything that I should be on the list, let alone first on the list, anything like that. After that moment, I was like an ex-smoker. And all I could do is run around and tell people, oh my God, you're loved, you're worthwhile, you're great. Like we were just worrying about the wrong things. And boy, did people find me annoying. In fact, I started a newsletter in the tech company that I was working at. And the CEO called me and he goes, Mark, uh, it's really nice that you're sending out these positive emails every Monday morning. Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) So that was where the fire ignited for me that I had, you know, I was just watching the people to the left and right of me have this this unspoken agreement with being in the 1% that it's worth destroying your relationships or your health or your mental health uh, in order as you know to get that success. And I've just dedicated my life to making sure that people that are in my world can be successful and thrive at the same time. It's interesting. And there's so much to unpack there. But one of the things that I kept going back to as you're talking is that, you know, the inside of you hadn't caught up with the outside because for a while, you were making a lot of money, you know, you were, you know, you'd graduated from college, you were doing all these great things, but you still had this, I'll just call it imposter syndrome, right? Because you didn't believe you were deserving of the success. I, I am curious. I mean, I know you said you were misdiagnosed. What did they diagnose you with initially? Uh, it was, it was, it was a, a form of, uh, uh, not cancer. It was, uh, um, it was it was like a cancer like thing in the blood and stuff, and it just turned out to be wrong. I was just uh, I was just falling apart from from anxiety and uh, depression. So it was coming. It was it was manifesting physically. And I know you said that something clicked while you read "Relax, Relaxing to Wealth," which I've never read, but now I wrote it down because I want to read it. But that wasn't the only thing. Like you had been climbing out of that depression and and anxious state little by little, it sounds like. So what were the things that you were doing along the way uh, before before it all clicked for you? What were the little things you were doing to improve your mental state little by little? So the ancients say that, you know, you know, your spiritual journey is like tap, you know, tapping on a rock, tap, 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 tap. And you never know which tap is going to crack it open. So you're right. So for years, I was tapping on 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 the rock of of Mark, and that sentence in relaxing the wealth uh, is what cracked it open. And he said, "What if you treated yourself like you treat everybody else in your life?" I love that. And I was like, that wasn't even English to me. You know, like it just didn't even dawn on me. I had seven dollar. I, I you know, I got I, like my my ex wife lived in the million dollar house. I bought her a uh, Toyota Highlander and a baby grand piano as my as my guilt gifts, right? And uh, I had, there are old silverware and old plates, right? In my, in my apartment. Uh, so that, that, that thought is what broke things open. But again, reading every book on positive psychology, on spirituality, uh, on, on contemplation. And for me, that, that's the big one. For me, the big, big, big one is a contemplation practice some kind of meditation. And it doesn't have to be sitting in a cross-legged and doing an ohm, right? It, it's some sort of contemplation practice. And it, and for me, journaling is, uh, you know, if I was left on a desert island, uh, I would want some form of music and pen and paper. If I can have pen and paper, I can survive anything. It, it, so, so that's what I suggest. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. 
For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. What I, what I appreciate as we're talking is just how vulnerable you're being. And I appreciate you for doing that. I thank you for doing that because, you know, it would just be so easy to say, you know, to stop at the, you know, the homelessness and the 135 pounds and then to immediately pivot to, I, now I'm a millionaire. Now I'm, yeah. you know, I, but it's this, this raw piece to say that you had a lot of things to fix internally. Uh, I'm, I'm just, it's refreshing to hear. So thank you for thank being you. You as, know, Pem, as open Pema as Troden says, you know, when tragedy happens, you have two choices. You can harden and close or soften and open. And I remember reading that and being in the middle of this and making the decision to use my pain and my tragedy uh, to connect with other people and to help other people. Uh, so the thing, the thing that got me through was being of service to other people, probably in a codependent way, but I was grasping at anything to make my life worthwhile. Well, it certainly sounds as though your life is worthwhile now. You're helping people in in so many different ways. I, I want to talk to you a little bit because I'm curious. Your best-selling book, Only Tens 2.0, Confront Your To-Do List, Transform Your Life. I want to dig into that book, but I'm curious. What was the reason you decided to write that book? So uh, after after I had my little epiphany and became the ex-smoker who had to tell everybody that they were okay, uh, and became wound up you know kind of letting go of my half million dollar a year job and deciding I'm a coach, uh, I was having trouble. I have I have severe ADD, uh, and it, and I had no idea. We got you know when we were, were testing my son is when Dad got diagnosed and the the doctor was like. How do you even function? You you test you test off the charts. Uh, I'm like, wow, had no idea. I remember the psychiatrist tell, asking the psychiatrist uh, if I actually had ADD, and he said, "Well, you take the pill, and if you can think, you have ADD." He says, "By the way, I've been doing this for 30 years. If you don't have ADD, I will eat my chair because <laughs> I'm just looking at you." I was like. That that just explains the alcoholism, the drug addiction. Like it just explains the all all of it, uh, and why it was so hard for me to keep my word to myself. So I'm an entrepreneur now, and I don't have an asshole sales manager. I'm really good when I have an asshole sales manager because I'm a people pleaser. I want to please people. When my name is, I'm also care about how I look. So when my name is on the leaderboard, that's important to me. <laughs> I'm sitting in my office with my dogs. And uh, I'm in charge of my own destiny, and I have the worst sales manager in the world because <laughs> it's YouTube is so much more interesting than anything I'm supposed to be doing, right? And even even productive procrastination is I'll make worksheets all day long. I'll create all kinds. I'll create podcast episodes and all kinds of stuff instead of selling anything but selling, right? ABS. Um, so I was I was agonizing over how do I get things done? Why don't I? Why do I not keep my word to myself? And I decided I was going to get a PhD in getting things done with ADD. 
And that's how the book came out, came about. What I realized was I lie to myself and I lie to everybody else about what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, what I'm capable of doing, what I'm not capable of doing. And I only do what I want to do and only always. And then I realized every, after I wrote the book, I realized everybody only does what they want to do only always. And anybody can challenge me on that. Nobody is a victim of anything. We are all a choice all the time. And what I realized is that my ADD was that I just didn't want to do a lot of these things. Because uh, uh, again, it's hard to focus when you have ADD. Uh, and, and for me, the, the fog of the ADD, sitting down with my hands on the keyboard, the fog of the ADD is worse to me than training for a marathon. It's worse for me than you know getting my fingernails taken. I hate that fog. So I write the book and I think my mother's going to buy a copy and I'll buy a copy. Uh, and 1,500 copies go out the first day. Uh, people start giving my book to people in the C-suite. Uh, people, are, people are going, how did you, why are you writing about me? How did you know me? And my book starts selling thousands and thousands of copies. Uh, and uh, it turns out that, that uh, it, was, it was kind of insightful. Like A lot of people deal with the things that I dealt with who don't have ADD, but things like setting boundaries, saying no, prioritizing, Right, you know, you know, spending your time on shoulds, uh, you know, all those things are universal. So my book has been pretty successful for me. So you kind of did a, a quick bullet list of a few things. Pick one or two of your favorite strategies, and let's take a not a deep dive, but a more than cursory dive. We'll call it that. All right, my fa- my favorite strategy. Well, the number one thing is that we're not a victim. We're a choice for anything. But Mark, I have to go to work. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. I have to go to work or I'll get fired. Exactly. You want to keep your job. You want your paycheck. You don't have to go to work, right? But you want these things. So now now let's choose it. Let's decide, okay, I want my paycheck. I want my benefits. I live in America. If I don't have benefits, I'm going to die. Uh, so I'm going to go to work. Now let's choose it. And let's not be a victim of it. Now that's now let's take that to everything on your to-do list. I have to do this. I have to do that. No. What's the consequence you're trying to avoid? And what's the reward you're trying to get on for everything on your to-do list? So I hate doing invoicing. Invoicing, again, my ADD, I don't like opening QuickBooks and finding addresses and doing the invoicing. But I want to get paid. Right? So the 10 isn't doing the invoicing. The 10 is getting paid. So how do I get that done? Do I hire it out? Do I do a, a you know, I, uh, one of the things, one of my strategies is do, having Zoom meetings with people who also have trouble getting things done. And we get on a Zoom call and we have a conversation about what three or four things that you did you want to accomplish while we have this hour or two together. Let's check in in a little while uh, and let's do those things. And I keep Zoom open. I can't tell you how productive I am when I have company. <laughs> And, you know, like I, I'll get my taxes done when I have Zoom open and I have someone else also doing their taxes. Uh, so, you know, when I use the tools, when I use the strategy and the support to get something done, then I know it's a 10, then I know that it's important. Just because I can't do it on my own doesn't mean that it's not a 10. It's, it's that I haven't figured out how to get the help I need to get it done. And again, for you, a 10 means out of zero to 10, 10 being something you're really excited about achieving, the end goal, right? So a 10, a 10 has, has, has a couple of definitions for me in my, in my world. And when I do my Mastering Overwhelm workshop, it's like, this is my world. We're going to play by my rules. When you walk out, you can, have your own, you can have your own definitions. So a 10 has to be done 
has to be done by me and has to be done by me today. So you look at your list today. What has to be done has to be done by me and has to be done by me today. If it doesn't fit that career criteria, like so if, if it's something that couldn't sh- and could and should be delegated, it's not a 10. It may need to get done, but it shouldn't be on your list. The 10 is delegate this to get it done. So has to be done, has to be done by me, has to be done by me today. All of a sudden, the list gets really whittled down and now you have space to think. The other definition of a 10 is you really have juice for it. Because what I found out when I whittled my to-do list, when I did, when all the shoulds and all the people pleasing and all the all the not able to set boundaries and say no to people, when I cleared all that off, I had space in my head to be creative, to think, to have an epiphany. You know what? I should call this person. And then when you know when that intuition comes in, I call that person because that's a ten because I I I felt like I wanted to do it, and they become a client or they introduce me to a client those kind of serendipitous things started happening. So the creativity started coming. So, And also, I started enjoying life, right? I wanted to start a podcast. It seemed like a stupid thing to do, right? But I had, it was a 10. I really wanted to start this podcast, right? Whole career comes out of, you know, I have 500 plus episodes of three different podcasts, Right? Who knew? Who knew? I sound like a male Fran Drescher. I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> I had no idea that a microphone would, you know, make me sound like Barry White. Who knew? You know, that's great. <laughs> that helps. Um, so, so you know, if you really have juice for something, I wanted to honor that because, again, as an ADD guy, I'm a dopamine addict. So I have to do fun things that excite me, all, you know, during the day. But there are certain things that just need to get done and need to get done by me today. You know, paying the water bill, got to get done if I want water. This is awesome stuff. I, I you mentioned your podcast. I want to take some time and and talk about it. So, uh, tell us about your show. What kind of things we you talk about on it? Let's let's spend a few moments. There. So, uh, so uh, the podcast is called the Rising Leader Podcast. So I've had three podcasts: Mastering Midlife, uh, Mastering Overwhelm, and now uh, it's called the Rising Leader Podcast, where we help uh, you know high achievers, fast rising high achievers, turn into effective leaders. Uh, we re- rebranded everything that I do from only tens. My new book is the rising leader. My new program is the rising leader because, uh, what I do all day, every day is work with people who are on executive teams, people who have r- risen through the ranks pretty fast, uh, who may not have the skills and the leadership skills to now have success through others, uh, and, and to work well. So, so, so on the rising leader, we talk about leading up, becoming a trusted advisor to your CEO or to your boss, because there's a certain art and science to leading up, leading across, leading on a, on a powerful group of uh, peers. So, you know, when you're, le- when you're on an executive leadership team, everybody has ideas they want to have heard. Everybody has an agenda. Everybody has, wants to be seen. And you also have to come together as a cohesive team. How do you do that? Then leading your team and then leading yourself, which is self-mastery and self-discipline, which is, you know, again, with a guy with ADD, that would be my specialty because it's something I've had to overcome. We've talked a little bit kind of in and out of this. We, we've teased uh, a bit about overwhelm. I, I Well, I mentioned it earlier, but I know that's something you're known for. So especially with an AD, ADD brain or ADHD is actually the, the term we're using now in the, in the clinical world. But give us a few tips because the people right now, and I mean in the world right now, I don't think there's ever been a time where people are are more overwhelmed, no, right? Very terribly. Yeah. So, give us a few of the things that you've used to to help manage that. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's funny because as soon as I started the Mastering Overwhelm workshop, I turned down more speaking gigs and more workshops than I accept because everybody's overwhelmed, right? So let me ask you, where do you think overwhelm lives? Where does overwhelm live in your life? In my life? Mm-hmm. My, my dogs and my kids probably. <laughs> I, uh, no, in, in all seriousness, I, I think my overwhelm is knowing when to focus on and what to focus on at any given time, right? Um, I have my own little system that I use. It's kind of similar to your only tens, but a little bit different. But I also, uh, as I've talked about many times, have worked on that aspect of myself probably more than anything else in the last several years because I had a stroke because I didn't have alignment in my life. So um, I work extremely hard at it. I don't know if that answered your question or it was just you view it as a political dodge, right? But <laughs> yeah, so you did. And so when I, when I ask, where does overwhelm live in your life? Partially the overwhelm lives with the stroke, you know, like again, overwhelm lives with the ADD and the stroke and that kind of thing. But when you said with my kids, with my dogs, with my life, people say my, uh, my, 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 the people that work for me, my customers, overwhelm is out there. Right. And the first thing I try and get people to see is that overwhelm actually lives between your ears. Overwhelm is a fear of outsized consequences in the future. Oh my God, if I don't get that done, I'm going to be homeless and living under a bridge. Because it always goes to, I'm going to be homeless and living under a bridge, no matter what it is. So it, it ha- it's, it's not, you know, the, 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 the ancients say, we're not in relationship with the world. We're in relationship with what we think of the world, right? So it goes through that magic filter. It's the same thing with overwhelm. When something has to, you know, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, it looks so much more sinister and so much more urgent than it does in the light of day. So overwhelm comes from, from this fear of not getting something done, of missing something, of, of, of should, 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 should. If I, was a, if I was more efficient, I would get this done. If I was this type of person, I wouldn't be worried about this, right? Overwhelm comes between your ears. So the first thing is to stop scaring yourself. Right? How do you stop scaring yourself? If I don't get this done, what's really going to happen? Uh, if this customer leaves, what's really going to happen? You know, uh, uh, one of the thing, one of the examples I use is uh, in my workshops is you know. So, what keeps you up at three o'clock in the morning? And in there, invariably, someone will say payroll, and I'll say, really? Yeah, every 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 other week, payroll just I, I can't sleep the night before. Payroll just it's terrifying. So what's your, what's your fear? Uh, that I'll miss payroll. And what'll happen if you miss payroll? Well, then I'll start losing people. What happens if you start losing people? Uh, my company will close and my, my kid, my, I'll lose my house and we'll live under a bridge. Great. That's how you're scaring yourself at three o'clock in the morning. I'm curious, when was the last time you missed payroll? Well, I've never missed payroll. Oh, uh, you've never, how long have you been in business? 14 years. 14 years, you've never missed payroll. Right. But at three o'clock in the morning, every other week, you're terrified of missing payroll. Great. Where would you like to, uh, you know, is it, is it productive to keep your attention there? Not really. Where would you like to place your attention? Well, I'd like to place my attention on our accounts and growing, growing this aspect of our business. Great. Let's take the monkey mind. So remember the human brain, you're, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a brain student. The human brain is a drunk monkey stung by a scorpion. That's, that's the scientific version of what you teach. Yeah, I've uh, seen research that suggests that. Right? It's a drunk monkey stung by a scorpion. So taming the human mind is impossible. 
So you have to wrestle your mind. You have to physically take your mind from, I'm not going to make payroll and we're going to live under a bridge and go, I want to pay attention to building this part of my business. And then you do that. But it takes conscious effort because unconsciously it's going to go to the worry. One of the things that this resonates with me about, I I used to many years ago run a group therapy uh, and I would always draw like two two circles, one on the inside, one on the outside. And uh, referring to an external locus of control, things you can't control, the weather, war, uh, things you can't control, which is basically everything else, right? Like, and, and what you're describing is that exactly. Like we, uh, we have a tendency to catastrophize things and emotionally we get amped up about them. Although there's oftentimes evidence and usually a lot of evidence to su- suggest that that thing we're fearing is never actually going to happen. So I I love your colorful metaphors and uh, just really refreshing. Um, Mark, I wish we had more time, but I this this has flown by. Maybe we'll do a a second episode together in the future. I would really welcome that. But as you know, uh, I always ask everybody who comes on my show this is one question, and that is, what is your biggest helping that single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Uh, it's, well, the most the most important thing uh, that I want anybody to know is that they're loved, they're lovable, they are good just the way they are, and that the 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 constant hamster wheel of trying to be enough is is just not it's not real. It's not worth. It. I'm 60 years old, right? So I talk to a lot of 30 and 40 year olds, uh, and you know, in hindsight, what's you know the cliche of what's really important: your relationships your health, your well-being, and enjoying life. Like I have two adult sons. You know, you're alive. Please enjoy. <laughs> Please. Uh, so that, that's, my, that's my, uh, my helping there. Beautifully said. Mark, tell us where people can find out more about you online, learn about how to connect with you, get their hands on your books, et cetera. So they can get a free copy of Only Tens at my website. Uh, it, uh, just go there in the resource center. You just put in your email and free copy of only tens. Uh, my podcast is there, all kinds of resources. Most of my clients won't read. So they ask me to make little five minute videos of every single thing in my book. So you can actually not read my book and just watch all the little five minute videos in the resource center at markjsilverman.com. Mark the letter J silverman.com. Uh, and my The Rising Leader podcast is there also. Perfect. And we'll have all the Mark Silverman good stuff linked in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. So Mark, uh, this has been a delight. I really appreciate coming on and sharing with everybody today. Thank you, Dr. Richard. It was so good to spend time with you. Absolutely. I loved it. And I also want to thank each and every one of you who took time out of your busy days to listen to our conversation. If you liked it, if you learned something, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, Go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others. 